Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve life and leadership for assistant principals. Today, I'm joined by John Willis, the founder of The Teaming Edge. John is here with us today to explore team coaching. Hello, John. Hey, Frederick. Uh, Really, it's an honor to be here, and I look forward to our conversation together. Yeah, so am I. I'm looking into diving in, but before we do that, can you tell us briefly how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so about 24, 25 years of experience started out as a high school teacher. I've taught, uh, I started out with biology, but I landed in where I think my love actually was, and that was physics and engineering. So I had the good fortune to help develop a physics and engineering project-based course for freshmen, oddly enough, uh, at a STEM school in Georgia. That was really fun. Um, So I taught for about 18 years. Uh, I think that's right. And then moved into uh, the district office where I became an instructional coach for a few years. And I worked K-12. That's where I developed a deep appreciation for the level of pedagogy uh, with elementary teachers. uh, And that really enhanced my coaching as well. Then I became a district coordinator where I had uh, several coaches that I supported uh, that worked K-12. And then uh, made the bold move to uh, leave education, become a, or at least leave uh, the system and become a consultant. And at first, my, my first uh, client was my prior district. So we definitely left on good terms and I continue to work with them today as well as uh, several other educators across the nation. So uh, excited about that and about to launch a podcast myself, Frederick. So I'm, uh, this is a good opportunity to learn from you as I uh, go down this path. Oh, good. We're happy to have you here. So when you went into the instructional coaching initially, it was that the early days of instructional coaching? It was. I had never, <laughs> it's funny, I've got this position as an instructional coach. I'd never heard of instructional coach, especially being secondary. Uh, so if there were instructional coaches in the district, they were definitely uh, at the elementary level. So elementary uh, schools were starting to get these coaches. Uh, and I went through that prior year, a coach endorsement program uh, that I didn't know really anything about. So I was one of the few uh, secondary teachers that were a part of that program. It really changed my outlook on uh, education and what my role could be uh, because I was having success in the classroom and I was doing presentations across the country about flipped classrooms and using technology and uh, some different things. So I was working with a lot of my colleagues, but never thought about the, the idea of supporting them as a coach. So having the coach endorsement helped uh, with that. Went into the district office uh, to start that role. Still didn't quite know what it was. So I spent some of my own money and uh, got training with the um, uh, Coactive Method, which is the Coach Training Institute, which is one of the largest uh, coaching organizations in the country. Not education-based, but I thought it would give me a good footing on how coaching is defined uh, across the country in all industries. And then I brought that information into our district and began to tailor it uh, to education. So uh, early days, uh, so that get, afforded me the opportunity to actually help develop uh, our coach endorsement program as well. Yeah. I, I feel like sometimes the instructional coaching is still in this 
kind of wild west phase. Um, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was one of those things where somebody said we need instructional coaches and it sounded like such a great idea and it has been a great idea, but I'm, you know, I've done principal licensure preparation. Well, we never talked in those programs about how you work with instructional coaches. And I think in most, there are a lot of instructional coaches that don't have any kind of endorsement or formal, formal education in that. Um, and even if they do, they're focusing on coaching skills. And again, that whole relationship piece between administration and instructional coaches, we've just left it up for chance. And um, I think that's, that's one of the challenges, challenges we have. And one of the things I advocate is that our administration, our principals, assistant principals, and those instructional coaches, those guys have got to be working really, yeah. really tightly together. And when you do that, now you're able to leverage some things and, and get some teacher growth. But I've also seen a lot of schools where instructional coaches off doing their own thing and admins doing something different. And that's a lost opportunity. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even add, uh, we want the administrators and coaches to be on the same page, have those weekly meetings, if not more often uh, about the work they're doing and being strategic. But if a administrator doesn't understand instructional coaching and what the, you know, the heart of instructional coaching uh, that you're there to help uh, with a teacher, increase their awareness, uh, capture reality, um, and then develop goals and uh, that are identified by the teacher uh, strategies to reach those goals that are identified by the teacher. So there's autonomy. If they don't understand the real purpose and mindset around coaching, then they may uh, inadvertently, with all the best intentions, uh, ask the coach to go and do things that are maybe not in alignment with a coaching mindset. For example, I need you to go fix this teacher. Uh, uh, I understand what an administrator would mean by that, but in the coaching world, that is uh, a big no-no, right? We're not trying to fix anybody because no one's broken, that kind of idea. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure we come back later in the show to the goals identif identified by the teacher. I think that's a really critical point. For sure. So this podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, prioritizing purpose over urgency, addressing problems, not symptoms, driving incremental progress rather than big change, and focusing on people instead of tasks. Mm. Listeners know that that fourth principle, people instead of tasks, that drives school improvement and creates better opportunities for young people. Listeners also know that I'm a big advocate for adapting our structures to align with our purposes. And I think that's an important element of team coaching, right? Aligning your structures, processes, and people to be able to focus on yeah. that critical work of teacher development. So let's dig in from there. Uh, how is team coaching different from PLCs or other PD approaches in schools? Yeah, for sure. So I think of team coaching, which is an area that I have really uh, begun to focus more on um, as a uh, consultant, because uh, that is a pretty gnarly area, team coaching, because it's, it's so dynamic and there's so many personalities. Um, it's not that it's different than PLCs or PD. It's that it helps to support the focus of a PLC or, or PD. So we, we, a lot of your listeners probably are familiar with the DeFour and DeFour and their work with, uh, uh, what's the book, uh, learning by doing. And, uh, I like the definition they give for professional learning communities to engage in an ongoing process in which these educators work collaboratively 
in reoccurring cycles of collective inquiry and action research to achieve better results for the students they serve. So for me, a team coach, I'm going to work with the team to ensure that we are uh, doing that work, that we are working collaboratively, that we're working uh uh, in an iterative cycle to make those small gains that you spoke to, and that I'm ensuring that we are uh, engaged in collective inquiry, which is probably one of the hardest things for teams to do because they're so busy with, quote unquote, the work that they lose sight of how important learning is as part of their work. Uh, so that's my role as a team coach is just to really help probably do two things, uh, increase awareness uh, and awareness can be perspective taking and providing uh, feedback, but just helping the team be aware of itself uh, and its role in uh, the school and then provide clarity. How are we going to communicate today? What are our next steps going to be? What's the agenda look like? So when I can provide awareness and clarity, uh, the team really uh, has all the expertise uh, and passion uh, to, to move the work forward. I, I think coaches just help provide that structure. Okay. And let's back up, I guess, one step and let's, can we do a tight definition of what constitutes team coaching? I would say team coaching would be a, uh, a, a leader, a team leader who has the expertise of the best practices in coaching uh, to help a team meet their goal. And and so who could be a team leader? Because it yeah, doesn't sound yeah. like it only has to be an instructional coach. That's right. Uh, team, a, a, a team coach could be any educator uh, that's leading that team. So that could be uh, a teacher that's taking on the leadership role of that team and is, has, is working on or has acquired and continuing to acquire those coaching skills, which is a lifelong uh, pursuit. We never arrive at... Uh, this uh, level of coaching expertise that we hope to, to gain, but we're just constantly working on it. Um, and then, you know, those, your listeners uh, are primarily probably assistant principals. So I think assistant principals make great team coaches. Uh, and we can talk more about that later as well. But I would say uh, any educator, whether in their, they're in a formal role as a instructional coach or not, we all uh, can acquire the knowledge, skills, and dispositions to provide coaching to a team. And coaching is just a way of communicating with your colleagues and being very strategic and intentional about how you uh, set those conversations up for success. Okay. Full disclosure, I did not really know exactly what team coaching is when we talked a couple of weeks ago. Um, and listening, I'm really excited because uh, I know a lot of assistant principals do sit on PLCs. But again, that role may or may not be clear and there may or may not be um, specific expectations that go with that. Yeah. So I'm excited because I think before we're done today, one of the things that we'll be able to do is to speak specifically to assistant principals. And if, if you're in that role and you have that opportunity to team coach, here are the bullet points that you really need to be. Thinking yeah. About. And I'll, I'll add one more caveat. So there is um, an organization. Uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but they are a spinoff from uh, the coach training Institute. 
and they have a program called relationship systems coaching, uh, which is a fancy term. And I've, I've gone through some of their professional development, but the reason I mentioned the relationship, relationship systems coaching is that team coaching. Another important uh, aspect of that is when you're supporting the team, you're viewing the team as an entity in and of itself. So, uh, you're coaching this entity called the team in order to reach a uh, shared goal that the team has, uh, as opposed to uh, traditional structural coaching where we're working with individuals. So both of those could be happening uh, during a week. So you might have team coaching and then you spin off and work with individual coaches throughout the week to help support them where they're at in terms of the team trying to reach its goal. But once you're sitting down in front of that team, you're not coaching individuals, you're coaching an entity called the team. If, if that helps your listeners at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, we talk sometimes on the show about the difference between group and individual professional development. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, that individual is where we do some of that specific coaching um, that is specific to that individual and their needs. And that's that, that kind of formative process. And then we talk more about a normative process, which is your group PLCs and things that you're bringing to the table and looking at implementing as, as a team. And, and so they're related, but they are two different kinds of processes there. Agreed. You got it. Yeah. Okay. So let's start, let's dig into a concrete example. What, what would this ideally look like, or what does it look like in one of the schools that you work with? Yeah. So it would look something like this. So uh, as a team coach, which could be a team leader at AP an instructional coach, it could be a district coach that's coming in, uh, whoever that person is first and foremost, uh, they're not going to really get much movement if they're not establishing relationships and building trust. So that's going to be first and foremost. So uh, a, a team coach might communicate with the team prior to the first meeting. Uh, this might be several days. This could be weeks prior to a first meeting. Um, there might be short one-on-one meetings. You might uh, engage in classroom observations, leaving quick positive feedback on post-it notes to teachers to let them know some things that you've seen and uh, acknowledge and affirm some of the things that they're doing in, the cl- in their classes. Uh, find out where some of their pain points are, just get to know them. Uh, how did their weekend go? Uh, get to know them individually, each, each one of them uh, prior to starting any coaching work. Um, and then as you get closer to that first meeting, I'd send an email because I think uh, an important aspect of uh, team coaching is transparency. So uh, we're not trying to come in with some secret agenda. So I'd send an email with the agenda uh, for full transparency to give those team members time to process that agenda. Uh, if, uh, if it's relevant, if it's, if it's helpful, perhaps giving them a voice to adding uh, items to the agenda if the team, if, if that's relevant for the team. One of the first things I would do is, uh, t- and I would do this at the beginning of the year, I would do it at the beginning of a semester. You could do it at the beginning of a unit. There's, there's several opportunities uh, to uh, begin this work, but I would start by co-creating with the team some powerful team agreements. Now, I use the term team agreement rather than norm, 
but just know that those are synonymous terms in the way that I'm using them. Now, norms is a loaded word because I think most, most of us have experienced uh, the develop development of norms or being exposed to norms that were very poorly facilitated. <laughs> so we might have some uh, a trigger when it comes to the word norm. So I use the term team agreement or working agreements uh, that help support not just how the team meets, but psychological safety and team learning on the team, which is very different than let's make sure that we all get to the meeting on time and that we have snacks. Those are fine, uh, but I'm helping the team develop agreements that are going to help us move the work forward. So I would go through a protocol uh, that takes a few minutes to make sure I've, I'm hearing from everybody on the team and then we develop some really clear team agreements. I'll give you a couple examples, Frederick, uh, that teams have come up with or uh, that I've seen in some text. Be focused and engaged. Uh, listen for understanding. Be aware of nonverbal communication. Uh, share airtime equitably. Uh, assume good intentions. Be honest and open. Value differences. Those are just a few. And so teams uh, come up with whatever it is that's relevant for them. Uh, and then I would continue to uh, leverage those uh, throughout meetings. Uh, next, I would work with the team to identify. Jump but please for, jump in, Frederick. Yeah. yeah. So, so in, in a nutshell, what would be the, a, a purpose statement for team coaching? So when I'm sitting down with my teachers, I think there's a lot that we want them to develop and have ownership in, but what's the actual one yeah. thing that this is what we have, this is what we have to achieve and how we yeah. do that. We're going to have, we're going to navigate this as a unique team, but what is it that we have to achieve? So I'm glad you asked that. So this is how I'm going to answer it. I don't know how satisfying this will be, but uh, that's the next thing I would do is co-create a shared purpose with the team. So as a team coach, a team leader, one of the things that would be important is that I have some systems thinking, some awareness of what's happening in the district and what's happening in the school, what's the district's mission and vision, what's the school's mission and vision, and bringing that to the team just to make sure that they have some awareness of here's the big uh, why for our principal, you know, the principal's why for what we're, uh, why we come to school every day. So then I would ask them, what's our why? You know, why are we coming together as a team? So I would take them through a brief protocol to uh, hear what their beliefs and values are around the work that they do, and then come up with a shared statement that is uh, developed uh, collectively and represents um, the big why that is going to help provide uh, legs to the how and the what. So the, all the what's that are on our agenda are not going to have a lot of meaning if we don't have a, as you're saying, a, a really clear, strong purpose. So I would work with the team for them to develop that uh, and have shared ownership as opposed to me providing that to them. And so is that big why going to be about students? Is that going to be about our own teaching? What is that big why? Going yeah, to great, great make? question. Either way. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I would want them to build it, but I definitely would say it would ultimately come down to what we want for our students, you know, okay. our students learning, our students needs, uh, and that there might be uh, an important aspect of how we come together 
as a team to help do that. Okay. Uh, but our purpose is going to be around students for sure. Okay. All yeah. right. Great. So we meet the first time and I love, I'm going to reemphasize, you know, your teachers. Yeah. And, and we know what's happening personally. And I know all assistant principals aren't um, maybe as dialed into some of the social things, but especially now we need to know what's happening in people's lives. Right. And we need to, we need to acknowledge that. So we need to get to know our teachers. We need to build some trust through those affirmations and observations and, and just know what's going on in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And then I think also when we build that trust and build those relationships, we're also going to become aware of some of the areas maybe that, that they want to grow. And I think that's, and we'll circle back to that in a minute. So that's step one. Step two then is that initial meeting, meeting, meeting <laughs> where we're almost going through that, that norming phase, um, establishing the agenda, establishing that shared purpose, and then those team agreements for how we want to operate. So yeah. now that starts to get us into the actual work of rolling up our sleeves. Am I right? That's right. So we're, we're getting ready to work. And so one thing that I would pause and do uh, prior to rolling up our sleeves is finding out what's the role everyone's going to play in this work. So if we, uh, let's say we did a quick agenda walk or uh, we talked about with, you know, as a team for just a couple of minutes, here's the type of work we're going to do. And we, we looked at that as a group. And then we said, what role are we all going to have uh, individually so that we can ensure that we are supporting that shared purpose and that everybody's uh, adding value to the o- overall collective? Uh, so I think uh, that would be really important to, to clarify that, not just, not just logistically, but psychologically as well, because we're going to talk a little bit later about psychological safety and the importance of that. But uh, at the very fundamental level of psychological safety is the need to feel included, to be included. And as a leader, uh, there's no clearer way to ensure that everyone's included than that they have a role that's adding value to the team, whatever that role might be, a clearly defined role. So if we have team members in a room and there's a team member that doesn't have a role, we can pretend that they're part of the team, but the reality is they're not included and they're not a part of that team. They just happen to be in the room while everyone else is meeting. So uh, I'm big on uh, speaking the unspoken, (laughs) speak the elephant in the room. So uh, there's so many dysfunctional teams, so many team members uh, in schools that don't really feel included on the team. So that's the first thing. Just let's make sure that we are a united front and everybody has a role, whatever that might be, which might vary, by the way, from meeting to meeting. And that's okay. Okay. Now we're going to roll our sleeves up and jump into the work. All right. Can you give me four examples of typical roles that we might find? Yeah. Yeah. So some examples uh, that I would see is uh, the ones I think of is from this great book. Um, You've probably heard of uh, taking the lead. This is Joellen Killian and Cindy Harrison's book. I believe there's a few editions out there and they have roles such as a resource provider, a data coach, curriculum specialist, instructional specialist. Those are different roles of a coach. So we could think about kind of transfer that concept of, well, what would be the specialist on the team for this particular topic? Uh, 
we of course we've got the obvious such as a note taker right but there's standards that we're typically uh, focused on when we're um, developing common assessments and de developing um, uh, our lesson plans. We want to make sure that we're tightly aligned to standards for student achievement. So there could be uh, someone who's really focused on being the expert on that standard and ensuring that we're aligned to that standard. Uh, there might be someone who takes on the role of ensuring that there's voice equity uh, in the meeting uh, and that everyone's being heard. Uh, in, and we could go on and on. So lots of different roles, both for a coach, uh, but some of those that coach-like roles that could uh, transfer over to individual team members as well. Okay. All right. Great. And so now we're ready to, to go to work. So we have yes. our second meeting. <laughs> so yeah we, yeah, we could think, and that's a good point, Frederick. We, I think that introduction I gave could definitely be the first meeting, right? Um, so now we want to uh, really ensure that we've got uh, a good learning, student learning goal. And so uh, the best way to do that is look at data. Uh, so I uh, would like to, as a team coach, help facilitate that and take, do some of the heavy lifting in terms of logistics on the front end. So just make sure you've got all the data together and you are thinking about the protocol that you're going to use in, in order to analyze this data and that it's uh, not too much data that's going to bog down it, the team members and take much too, too much time. But we don't want to come up with all the inferences as a team leader. We want the team to come up with those as well. So there's a nice balance of enough data, but not too much data. Um, so in other words, a team lead or a team coach should really be intentional about creating the agenda for the meeting. Um, and so I, in I that, wanted, I'm yeah. sorry, I keep interrupting, but no, please um, just so many great ideas and I will jump into and just point out to listeners. One of the, one of the power bases is informational power. And one of the powers we have when we look at data, data tells a story and most data tells multiple stories. And so one of the pieces of power that you have as a leader is to decide which story that data is going to tell. Um, and that, that's, a, that's an ethical responsibility. So I'm not suggesting that, that you distort or make stuff up with the data. That would be just wrong. But data is going to point out lots of different things. And and, and it's easy to get lost in it, which I think is what you're talking about. So really being mindful of what's the story or what are the couple of stories that we want this data to tell and then presenting that data in a way that makes it easier for us to focus on a specific story or choice of a couple of stories. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And that was well said, Frederick. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, helping to decide what that story is going to be. Uh, and that'll help us come up, identify meaningful student outcomes. Uh, and I would think, you know, we're thinking of student outcomes um, that are going to take a few weeks, not something that takes all year, not something that can be achieved in a week. But we're trying to find that right uh, outcome that's going to uh, really engage the team and move the, move the needle, so to speak. Um, so. I might give an example of students will demonstrate an ability to effectively engage in collaborative discussions uh, that crosses several standards that could 
uh, cut across multiple grade levels, uh, different uh, content areas. So the importance of students to be able to collaboratively communicate effectively is really important. And that could be an area that a team would want to dig into uh, as an example. Then they would backwards plan. So once we've got a clear student outcome, uh, we'd want to backwards plan. And that would look like identifying what are the student actions? What are students doing to actually uh, make a difference towards that outcome? Because there's only one stakeholder that's actually uh, influencing the outcome and that is, or has the most direct impact on the student outcome and that's the students. Uh, so I think it's a little misleading to think that teachers can impact student outcomes without the student being involved. So we really as a team unpack what are those student actions that's gonna get that outcome. That's gonna be an ongoing conversation by the way. What are the teacher actions that's gonna influence the student actions? And what are the team actions? What are we going to do in our PLC uh, that's going to help achieve that student outcome? So, uh, one, so here's some examples of student actions. Uh, remaining on topic, listening as other students share ideas, build on other students' ideas, uh, support claims with evidence, right, uh, for that idea of collaborative discussion. Teacher actions. Teachers might model and uh, – a discussion with listening, uh, building on ideas and using evidence, uh, provide sentence frames for students, provide feedbacks to, to small groups, and team actions. What does that look like? Well, what a team would do first is ask themselves, what do we need to learn in order to best reach that outcome? So if we're not asking that straight out, then we probably should just admit to ourselves that we're not a professional learning community, uh, which might be okay for some groups. They, you know, choose to not go that route. Uh, but if we want to be an on, honestly be a professional learning community, the key word there is learning, <laughs> professional learning. So that's through action research. That's uh, uh, through collective inquiry. So when we ask ourselves, what do we need to learn? That gives us an opportunity to be curious and investigate what's going on right now in our industry that could help support us in this particular area. Um, and I've, I've been working closely with SIBME. So this is a uh, virtual uh, online coaching platform uh, for both individuals and teams, really powerful. And I, I love this work, some of my favorite work that I do. Uh, and this is where I would set up what's called a SIBME uh, collaboration huddle with the team uh, so that the team uh, coach could upload, let's say, an exemplar video for the team to discuss in any associated documents that provide context to that video. Uh, each team member could actually watch the video and provide comments. Uh, so this could be asynchronously, uh, and then they come together as a team and process what they noticed. Um, they could also upload videos of themselves onto this huddle and have some conversation about best practice, depending on where that team is on the continuum of collegiality and collaboration, because it's a process to get comfortable and have enough psychological safety that you could share uh, your own teaching. But that's the idea to get there. So I would leverage a technology like Sydney uh, to really engage in some good conversations around those best practices. Um, 
And then lastly, there's one more stakeholder that we've forgotten about, and that's the team coach. And so what's the team coach doing? So the team coach might ask themselves, what can I learn and what can I do to help support this team? So that might be locating, providing resources, providing the exemplar I talked about, creating the meeting agendas, providing feedback on the team progress, identifying protocols to support collegial conversations. So uh, that would be a starter. And then the team coach would work with uh, teachers individually uh, and provide that individualized support with perhaps a coaching cycle, a short three to five week coaching cycle to support individual teachers in meeting the overall team goal. Um, and then, um, and this is where you can pull Sidney in again. And uh, Sydney works really well with individual coaching where teachers have a private workspace where they can upload a video that no one can see, not even their coach. And when they're ready, they can share it into a huddle that their coach can see. Uh, this will help, help them really capture reality uh, and engage in some conversations about what it is that they'd like to work on uh, that would get them closer towards what the team goal is. The big difference I have, at least in a, um, a philosophy I have about individual coaching, is that ideally it should be uh, related to what the team's doing. So uh, I don't know if I like the idea, except for maybe in rare circumstances, that an individual teacher is working on something that is not aligned to what the team's working on. So we've got a team goal, and individually we're working uh, to build our capacity to best support the team. Uh, and that's what I love uh, when coaches are working with individuals in that way. So let me, uh, yes, let's clarify uh, the coaching cycle. So is it, is it just the, the team coach that is doing the coaching or are other members of the team coaching each other? Yeah. So that really depends on the school and, and their resources. And do they have uh, instructional coaches uh, on staff so I think if you have a robust instructional leadership team that is meeting regularly, that's made up of instructional coaches, the administration, and the team leaders, uh, and they're going through a PLC themselves, then they're probably answering that question. Who are all the stakeholders that can help support our teachers individually? Um, at the very least, though, Frederick, it might just be that team leader. So that okay. team leader knows the team. They know what the goal is. And so they're working with individuals on that team. Uh, one individual in a brief conversation uh, identified that they just had some management issues with implementing a strategy. So they're like, oh, piece of cake. Let me share with you a resource that'll help support you, or let's talk through how you would implement this. Another teacher really uh, needs to build their capacity on, in, with a certain pedagogy. So I might spend a little bit more time uh, with them. Okay. So I, I think this is a really important point that I want to emphasize with listeners. So we're doing the coaching cycles and those coaching cycles support the team goal, but they're individualized to the teacher based on which barriers or which elements that each individual teacher may need to work with. So you cool. got it. You got All it. Right. So I know, I know I've got some listeners out there that are thinking, wait a minute, this coaching team coach sounds good, but it also sounds like I'm being the instructional coach 
And am I going to be stepping on the toes of my instructional coach? And if I'm doing this, what's my instructional coach doing? How, how do we keep, keep, yeah. the, keep the separation, I guess. Yeah. So that's a good problem to have. So hopefully there are enough resources at school where there's a team coach and then there's instructional coaches. So they should be meeting. I mean, the, these people should be meeting often and having conversations uh, without breaking confidentiality, just having conversations about here's our team goal, here's our focus, so that instructional coaches understand what that is. Uh, hopefully, instructional coaches are attending or uh, uh, an integral part of that PLC. Um, if there is a me- – but you bring up a good point. If there's a member of the staff that is supporting teachers individually – but they're not a part of the PLC. It's just there, there could be uh, some potential for misalignment. So I think uh, conversations could be enough for that. But if they're a member of the team, then it's going to be a natural part of uh, how that rolls out. Uh, of, the yeah, IL, me- of the instructional leadership team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. because you, you may take second grade. I've got third grade. And, and then... As, as the instruction, if I'm the assistant principal, then I've got my other duties. I'm covering one grade instructional coach. You may be covering, you may be working team leader with more than one grade, but then you've also got probably more of the um, responsibility for planning, professional development, and those kinds of things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah, I think if they're divvying it up and saying, okay, I'm going to be supporting with this, supporting second grade teachers. Uh, if they, if that instructional coach understands what's that team's uh, goal, their shared purpose that they've identified, uh, what are their team agreements, what are some of the conversations they've had, that should be enough context to really help individual teachers. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we're doing our coaching cycles. And yep. then, and then uh, the team's going to come together. Uh, you know, they've, they've had those opportunities for collective inquiry. Uh, using tools like SIBME, uh, having some transparency with what's happening in their classrooms, and they've identified clear uh, actions that they're going to implement as teachers to support students. So now we want to find out how we're doing with that. So I think there's really no better way. There's multiple ways to do it, but looking at student work samples is uh, a powerful way of uh, getting really dialed into how your students are learning. And in my mind, looking at student work samples is another form of collective inquiry because you really start to understand your students more and that will inform the next steps. Uh, so it's a form of action research. So looking at student work as a protocol, uh, there's a couple of different ones out there that will help uh, support those conversations. Um, and then, celebrating success uh, when we're having those successes um, and making sure that we're celebrating those successes with outside stakeholders as well. In other words, what I mean by that is let the school know what this team's doing. This shouldn't be an isolated event just with second grade, but I think it'd be great that third grade knows the successes that seventh grade's second grade is having and and so on. Uh, And then I would iterate this process for continuous quality improvement. Um, I think with plan, do, check, act, and Deming's model from uh, decades ago, which is very powerful, we're planning, we're doing, we're checking, and we're uh, modifying our actions in order to best support our students, is great unless 
the mind that is analyzing the problem is the same mind that is coming up with the solution. If that's the case, then we're not actually progressing. So professional learning communities are a little dif different. They're still going through a plan, do, check, act, iterative cycle, but the collective inquiry is allowing them to increase their capacity to take a more comprehensive view of the challenges in education, the challenges for their students so that they can make better decisions so that they're constantly improving rather than just maintaining status quo. Okay. And what I really appreciate about this um, is the way you're laying it out is very concrete. I mean, I, I think listeners are going to be able to walk away and really, if not implement, at least have some ideas of, hey, these are the pieces that we have to have in place in order to have a successful PLC, <clears throat> excuse me, which I love because you see so many bad PLCs. PLC is yeah. just a team meeting. We're just getting together. Um, yeah. And so this is enough structure that it's, it's the right amount. People, people can learn these things. People can grab these tools. People can start on this journey without being completely overwhelmed. And I said, we're going to go back to teachers identifying. Um, and I've had some really interesting conversations with assistant principals this year. And we know teaching is so complex and, and now the needs are just so huge. Um, the learning gaps are big. We've got students in all kinds of stress. We have adults in stress. Yeah. And I could go into any classroom and I can probably identify 5, 10, 15 things that teacher needs to work on. And what I've tried to emphasize with assistant principals is it really doesn't matter which of those things. Do I want to get better at engagement? Do I want to get better at um, questioning strategies? Do I want to get better at facilitating group work? Do I want to get better at managing my class? Like those are all critical. It, it doesn't matter which one. And so that's, you, you know, you talked about engaging stakeholders. And I think that's one place that, that administrators can get a lot better at, which is going in the classroom, seeing all this stuff, and then stepping back and saying, it doesn't need to be my choice what we work on. I can share the data and, and I can choose to share or not share my opinion, but I can share the data and say, Here, here's what we're seeing. Here's what I observe. Let's talk about what's important to you. What's an area that you really feel like you want to focus on? Because if the other thing we talk about is this whole, um, my favorite quotient, which is, M equals V divided by E. So motivation equals value divided by effort. Mm. And we get frustrated when people aren't motivated, but all that really means is that the value is not big enough to overcome the effort. Yeah. And one way to increase value without any work on our part is to allow the teacher to choose what they want to work on because now it's valuable. I don't have to convince them that it's valuable. They already know it's valuable. That's why they identified it. So right off the bat, I've increased motivation simply by allowing them to choose to increase value. And, and what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing can happen is they choose something that I don't think is that important. We get into a coaching cycle and they grow in it. Yeah. And then what happens? Because it's a cycle. Now they choose the next thing and now they have more belief in the process, right? So yeah, it's such a powerful point. We don't need to be telling teachers where they need to grow. Uh, there, now, there are a few exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. But in general, 
we need to be that partner for teachers, helping gather the data, helping ask the questions that help them to think, but we don't need to be lead, leading them you know, down a bread trail of it's going to end here. Let them, let them choose. Frederick, I could not uh, agree more. That was really well said, and that definitely resonates with uh, the way I show up as a coach. And I would add to that, we're talking about the benefits uh, of how motivated they're going to be when their value is their values are heard. So that's, I think, really, typically resistance is just a result of someone's value is not being honored their voice is not being heard. So we're giving them an opportunity to have autonomy and we're empowering them through structure and uh, clear uh, awareness of reality to help them see what do you wanna work on and what is this gonna look like? Um, and what this is gonna do, as you said, uh, motivate them, it's also gonna build their efficacy. So as, an, as a uh, classroom teacher, they're building their own self-efficacy as they're part of a professional learning community, and each member is believing more and more in their peers. Now we're hitting a level of collective teacher efficacy, which John Hattie has shown through his synthesis of uh, meta-analyses that collective teacher efficacy has a tremendous impact on student achievement. Um, so just having a group of educators that believe that they have the resources, they have the knowledge, the skills uh, to come together and make a difference, they are more likely to make a difference. Now, why is that? Because they're more likely to implement the things that are going to make a difference. So when you believe you can make a difference, you're more likely to engage in the actions that leaders and teachers need to take in order to make that difference. So I think it starts with autonomy. Uh, and empowerment uh, that you so perfectly described. Yeah, that's a great point because we can have people that, that we really improve their technical capacity to teach, but that efficacy and anybody that's not familiar with that word, it simply means that I believe self-efficacy is I believe I make a difference in my classroom. Yeah. And the research is very, very strong that efficacious teachers achieve way better. I mean, that's the first step, yeah. right? We have to believe yeah. that we make a difference. And it just, for assistant principals, think about if every one of your teachers really deeply believed that they made the difference in their classroom and that they could reach all their kids, that would probably change the balance of your work, especially when it comes to kind of the discipline and policing aspect of the school. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, you've talked about a number of resources, so I'm going to ask for you to, to share those with me, and then we'll make sure those are in the, the show notes um, Absolutely. and people have options to that. Uh, I would imagine you may have some really good resources on, on your website, and do you want to tell us a little bit more about the specific work that, that you're doing? So this is an infomercial yeah, <laughs> opportunity because sure. you're doing so, some really neat stuff. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity, Frederick. So uh, you could find my information at johnwilliscoaching.com, uh, also theteamingedge.com. Either one of those would go to my website. And uh, I'm following your lead, Frederick. I'm uh, planning to release my first podcast uh, in September. So I've got three so far finished, and I'm trying to get a couple more. So I have a backlog of a, a couple episodes before I release. 
Um, but I've had the good fortune uh, to interview folks like Jenny Donahue, Steve Barkley, uh, uh, Jane Kesey, and others. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I also do consulting work. Uh, so I work with SIBME, uh, first and foremost. That's one of the biggest things I do is working with both individual teachers, uh, instructional coaches. I work with a lot of uh, assistant principals, principals, and even district leaders uh, and coach them um, to be better coaches uh, to help support the work that they do. Uh, or I work with individual teachers to support their pedagogy in the classroom. I also work with school systems. Uh, so I'll come to schools and I'll facilitate uh, team coaching or professional development around best practices of team coaching to get make sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, uh, and so anything in between. So you can go to my website, find more information about that and reach out. And I'd be glad to help. And I also have a couple of resources. I have a collective. We were just talking about collective teacher efficacy. So I've uh, done some of my own research just with uh, some of the text and and articles that are out there around collective teacher efficacy and just developed a pretty simple 25 question collective teacher efficacy assessment. It's free. Uh, so your listeners could go out there and find out what are uh, some of the um, indicators of a, of a highly functioning uh, team and what are those leader actions that you could take to foster a collect, uh, increased collective teacher efficacy on your teams? That sounds uh, like a great place to start. And so that'd so be a good exact, place to start. Where, where do they want to go on the website for that? Yeah, so they go to resources. They'll see there's a couple of resource, resources there. Uh, one is on collaborative teams and the other is on collective teacher efficacy. So they're both uh, free assessments and they can uh, uh, take that uh, right away and get, they'll get, uh, with the collective teacher efficacy, they'll get a list of leader actions that they could take right away to help support their teams where they are. And so the team, every team's on a continuum. So we want to be sure we're supporting our teachers where they are. Yeah, that's great. There are lots of professional development resources out there, but the number of resources that come with actionable items, this is something you can do right now. Um, that's, that's golden. So it's johnwillis.com. Yeah, you got it. John Who Willis else? coaching, John Willis coaching.com and the teaming edge.com. Okay. All right. And go to the resources page and, and grab that. It. That sounds great. Okay. I have three questions for you as we wrap up. And the first yep. one is what part of your own leadership are you trying to get better at? Yeah. Okay. So I think for me, it's going to be uh, communicating. So I'm, I, I love to dig in. I've got a library of resources. So I love to dig in to the latest uh research and uh, um, texts that, that come out on some of the topics that we talked about today, and then find some common patterns uh, and uh, create assessments or create tools that'll help uh, support uh, teachers. So it, I think for me, it's big into making sure that I'm moving from theory into practice. So I've made it uh, a point to be make sure that everything's very applicable, very concrete, very actionable uh, and not just theoretical. I think in those early days, I just love the theory. I love sharing the theory, but <laughs> teams don't want theory. They want to know what can I implement now? So that has been uh, what I've worked on on the past few years and, and continued work on working on to make sure that I'm making things practical and applicable to uh, our leaders. 
Good. Yeah. And I would second, that's a constant, that's a constant yeah. thing we need to remind ourselves of. If listeners could take away just one thing from today's podcast, yeah. what would it be? I would say if I were to take one thing, I, I've mentioned it briefly. So this might be an opportunity to talk a little bit more about it. And it's the idea of psychological safety. Uh, I think we could implement all the protocols and provide all the structure and, and talk about data, do all the right things to, to move the needle on closing the student achievement gap and, and, and reaching our student learning goals. But if our teachers do not feel safe when we come together to meet, then we are not going to meet those outcomes. And so um, what I would recommend, there are several books out there on psychological safety. It's pretty common topic these days. And there's been some uh, research that's about a decade old, old from Google's Aristotle project and Harvard has done a project as well. But a more uh, recent book is by Dr. Timothy R. Clark, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. And I'll just mention them briefly here. Uh, inclusion safety, which I alluded to earlier, ensure, making sure you feel included with the team. Learner safety contributor safety and challenger safety. And he talks about each of these. So as a leader, I think it's important that you make sure everyone on the team feels included with having clear, concrete roles, that you're providing an opportunity for everyone on the team to learn with each other in a safe way. In other words, uh, that's safe to fail, that it's safe to not know the right answers. And in fact, I go further and say, let's fail as fast as we can so that we are improving as fast as we can. So creating an environment that's safe to learn and then ensuring that everyone has a voice and can contribute uh, towards our goal. Uh, and then lastly, uh, provide space for challenging uh, where we are. So, cause we want to innovate, we wanna uh, be creative uh, because every year we get a new group of students. Every year there's a new context that we're working through. So we never arrive as a professional learning community. So we can't, we can't rely on what worked last year and thinking that's going to work this year. So uh, challenging what we're doing and pushing ourselves is going to be really important. And that requires increasing levels of psychological safety, moving from feeling included to feeling safe to learn to contribute, to challenge. Each of those requires more and more psychological safety. So as a leader, I would say establish those relationships and make sure that you're cultivating high levels of psychological safety. And more times than not, the rest of it is really going to start to come together. It, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I had a, another podcast interview yesterday and that's Leanne Alf, Alfred Keith. This will be the second time that she's on. And I don't know if her episode is going to air before this or after this, but that was one of our concluding pieces in terms of establishing better parent partnerships was this idea that it's really kind of that there's that preliminary piece of laying the groundwork. And so for assistant principals in, in growing the parent partnerships, it's actually changing the way that we talk about those partnerships and the way we view our parents. It's not digging right in and saying, we're going to change all these things. It's, it's laying that groundwork, which really is kind of relational, emotional, psychological groundwork. And, and as I hear you talking about this piece, and I am so grateful that you brought it up at this point in the show, that's your first step. 
right? Your first step is not saying, hey, I have this book and I have these resources and we're going to dig in and do that. Do that. I think the first step is, have you built psychological safety? Yeah. If you have that, then you can go in. But we don't need to hit this in the fall. I can spend the fall being really intentional about building that psychological safety. And then I can have the discussions with my teachers that are going to, they're probably then the ones that are going to drive this and say, Hey, we want to, we want to focus on, and, and now you're, it's not easy, but it's going to be good. You got it. You got it. Dr. Clark talks about our role as team coaches or team leaders is to increase intellectual friction. So we're having rich collegial conversations, but reduce social friction. Uh, And that's uh, one of our roles as leaders on the team is to protect those boundaries. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say uh, I think a, a important tool that, uh, you know, definitely go to my website and see what's there and reach out to me. I'll be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. And another powerful tool that I have uh, been using uh, that I've spoke to earlier with Sydney and their incredible virtual coaching platform. So uh, I am coaching through the Sydney platform platform. And uh, when I was at the district level, I uh, used that as well. And it really is a game changer in terms of uh, uh, how we're having those conversations and reflecting on our own pedagogy by seeing videos of us teaching uh, really is a game changer when it comes to uh, that reflection and and those next steps. So I would definitely highly encourage uh, schools to consider how they might incorporate something like that in the work that they're doing. And how do you spell that? S-I-B as in boy, M-E, Sib-Me. All right. And they can, they can go to Sibme.com and they get information. They get free uh, 30-day trial and things like that to, okay. to find out if it's a good fit. But good. that's something – that's a tool that I've used that's really uh, changed the way that I coach. So uh, I'm a big advocate. All right. Excellent. And again, I'll include links to all of that stuff in the show notes. John, this has been great. Thanks so much for sharing today and coming on. Frederick, it's been an honor. Uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, sharing this information with your listeners and uh, look forward to having some other conversations in the future. Good, good. I hope so. Okay. If you, dear listener, enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. And rating is particularly helpful. The audience is growing, but the more ratings we get, the more all the algorithms push this show and the more assistant principals that will be able to find it. So go ahead and rate the podcast. And I'm always trying to improve the show. If you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast. So before we sign off, let's do a quick recap of this episode with John Willis. We talked about team coaching, which really you can think of as a facilitated facilitated PLC. It's being facilitated by someone using coaching techniques. This could be anyone. It could be your instructional coach, your principal, assistant principal, or other instructional leader. There are six six steps to team coaching. 
The first is building relationships, which involves affirming, getting to know, and really understanding your teachers. The second thing is team building. So work with the team to collaboratively develop an agenda, co-create team agreements, which you can think of as norms, identify a shared purpose around student outcomes, and then define roles for each team member. Once we've done that, we go to step three, which is to use data to identify a student learning goal. And this learning goal should be something that we could um, develop, meet in weeks, not months. So this is not a long-term process. It's kind of that short or intermediate length of time. Fourth step then is to backwards plan, which invert, which in involves first identifying the student actions that would be needed to meet the student learning goal. The second step in then is then to identify the teacher actions that will help the students do their actions. Then we look at the team actions that will help support the teachers. And finally, we look at the team leader actions that will help the team. So you get this really neat stacked effect there. This really is a team process, and it's about what we want to learn, not what you as the admin think that thinks that they need to work on. Step five is the collective inquiry. We can think of this as coaching cycles, and those coaching cycles provide individual support based on teachers' individual needs that they need to meet the team goal. So it's individual coaching, but it's focused on meeting the team goal. And then the last step is six, using data to determine your next steps. So this is a great example of the flywheel. And remember, I described the flywheel as being three components. We deliver professional development. We follow up that professional development with observations. And then we use the observation data to plan the next round of professional development. That's exactly what this is. And it's just kind of a variable form of what that flywheel can look like. If you decide that this is something that would be a really good fit for your school, you probably should head over to John's website at johnwilliscoaching.com and grab a bunch of the resources that he talked about. However, the other piece of it is to really work on building those relationships. So I would suggest when we start the fall, don't immediately jump in and say, we're doing team coaching. Instead, work very hard to develop those relationships with teachers to build that psychological safety, to build the trust. And then as you head through the fall or head into the spring, then you can engage teachers and talk with, talk with them about whether or not this is a model that would really appeal to them. And let's talk about real quick that idea of building relationships with teachers. So there are two really simple concrete ways that you can build your relationships with teachers. The first is just be present. Spend time with teachers and when you're with them, be 100% engaged with whatever teacher you're working with and just be present. Don't be thinking about all of the other stuff that you have to do. Your presence is a gift to teachers that they will appreciate. The second thing that you can do 
is to implement five-minute coaching. Five-minute coaching is just using those three questions. What went well? Were there any surprises? Is there anything that you would do differently next time? Just using those force also forces you to listen, which communicates that you value and respect the teacher. It teaches them to be reflective. And finally, it teaches them that making mistakes is okay. So if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. Rating the podcast is really important because it helps people find it. And the algorithms of all of these different podcasting platforms promote shows based on the number um, and the yeah, the number and the score on the ratings. So if you value this show and you'd like other assistant principals to be able to find it, please go ahead and rate the show. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you had feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.